0: Good morning. Welcome to The Edge. My name is Brandi, and I'm so glad you've joined us today as we continue our brand new series on prayer. You know, prayer is a staple in the Christian faith, and it's really a lifeline for us because it's how we communicate with God. But prayer can look very different for different people. I mean, for some people, it's a very natural and organic thing for them, but for others, it can feel vague and mysterious or maybe even intimidating, but simply put, prayer is as simple and profound as this. It is dialoguing with God. And see, because of Jesus, we actually get to take our thoughts, our concerns, our needs and our praises to the one and only Almighty God anytime we want. Prayer is perhaps one of the greatest rights and responsibilities of the believer. And because of that, as a church, we really want to take the first of this year and dedicate it to looking more into the type of prayer life that God really intends for us. Because prayer is supposed to be something that guides us and comforts us and convicts us and shapes us in our faith journey. But sadly, For many Christians, prayer is often underutilized in our lives, whether it's because of busyness and distraction or unbelief or disappointment. When we don't have the vibrant prayer life that God intended for us, we can begin to feel distant and disconnected to God. And we can become numb to His activity in our lives, and I can't imagine anything That makes God more sad than His children not communicating with Him. In fact, there's a quote by theologian D.L. Moody that says, "...next to the wonder of seeing my Savior's face will be, I think, the wonder of how little use I made of prayer." See, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why people don't pray more often. Perhaps they feel that their prayers are um, ineffective, they haven't seen change, or maybe they feel like in the grand scheme of things, their prayer concerns are pretty insignificant. Or perhaps your prayers have become more like an ongoing wish list, like like a one-sided monologue to God, rather than a conversation, a mutual interaction. But prayer, if we really understood what it's supposed to be and the power of prayer in our lives, it would change everything. And see, God loves it when his children pray, and he entices us to do so. In fact, he even attaches a profound promise in the Bible to those who would truly seek him in prayer. It's found in 2 Chronicles 7.14, and it says, If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven, and I will forgive their sins and heal their land." And that word, heal, is so rich because it means to mend, to cure, or even to make whole. So that's a really big promise that God is making. He intends for our prayer life to be causative. He wants us to engage in the kind of prayer that will affect change in us and around us. And he wants this type of prayer to bring us healing. But this is not a prayer for just anyone. If you really listened to what God said, he's addressing a specific people. He says, if my people who are called by my name So who is God attaching this promise for? It's the church. It's those of us who profess the name of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are called by His name, and that is who this promise is for. Because it can be confusing, because, you know, a lot of people say that they pray. A lot of people are open to prayer, and in fact, a lot of people even say that they pray to God. But it's important to know that if someone has rejected Christ as their Savior, then they're not praying to the God. That's why we pray often literally in Jesus' name, because it is only in Christ that we have access to God. Jesus said in John fourteen six, No one comes to the Father except through me. So if we want to have this vibrant, effective prayer life, the very first thing that we have to do is we have to be in Christ. He has to be the one that we profess. And then we need to have God shape our desires and our thought life. We need to ask God to shape and give us the desires of the heart so that our heart beats like His does and it will affect the way we pray. And if you want to know something that God's heart really beats for, it is His church, His bride, His church is at the top of his priority list, and he wants it to be at the top of ours as well. And what does he want for the church? Well, he wants the church to be glorified, to emulate his love and his light from the inside out so that all those around will see that he is Lord. So, the church should take great priority in our prayer life, and I wonder if that is true for you today. Oh, oh, I know, we might uh, remember to pray for believers who are undergoing severe persecution in other countries, you know, when it makes the headlines. But seriously, are we really remembering to lift up one another regularly in prayer? See, when Paul addresses the early churches in his letters, it is very evident that he's not only giving them encouragement and instruction, but he is praying for them and he leads us with a great example of humbling himself. And remember, when God said, If my people would humble themselves, that's the first thing we have to do. It's about a posture, a posture of the heart that is humble. God says, It is when we humble ourselves that he will lift us up. And we know that Paul took this very um, humble approach when he was praying for the church because. If you actually look at all of his letters, he addresses his letters the exact same way every single time. He says, grace and peace to you from God the Father through Jesus. It's a pretty interesting greeting, a certain salutation that's very like specific to him. And it kind of makes me think of, I wonder if you've ever known somebody that just has their own like kind of peculiar but specific way that they address people. Like when i was little i I lived in a really small town and we kind of had the town pastor his name was pastor mike and he addressed every single person no matter how well he knew you or didn't he always said the same thing he'd say oh glory he even had it on his license plate and it was just the normal thing that he said like other people couldn't get away with saying it but he did or for example if you were to ever call my father-in-law on the phone he would always answer the phone Cheerio. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like just these random unique things. And so I kind of think of Paul like this, like this was just his way of addressing the church, grace and peace to you. And that just shows you that humble position that he took, because it's always in that order, grace and peace, which really makes a lot of sense. Because if you think about it, grace begets peace, right? Grace comes before peace. It is by the grace of God that we have been saved. It's not by our own works. None of us is worthy on our own. But because of God's grace, through faith in Jesus, we have received forgiveness for our sins, and now we have peace with God. Grace extended is peace received, grace and peace to you from God through Jesus. This is is the humble posture that we must all take in prayer and with one another. When we extend grace to one another, then we get to enjoy more peace relationally as well. But of course, this takes humility, and humility sets us up for gratitude. And you see gratitude laced all throughout the epistles as well. Let me just read to you. We're going to look at this example of a prayer that Paul writes for the Colossians, and it's found in Colossians 1, 3 through 12. Just listen to this. He says, We always thank God for you when we pray because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and the love that spring up from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about what you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing since the day you heard it and truly understood His grace. For this reason, we have not stopped praying for you, and we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will, wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you'll have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light." So, how do we pray for the Church? Well, according to this example, we first thank Him. We start with gratitude for even placing us into a family in the first place. God gave us this community of believers where we have the chance to learn and to grow in how we express and experience the love of Jesus. And when we thank God for the Church, we're then reminded that we're not alone, that we belong to this fellowship of believers. And then God does something miraculous. When we begin to humbly thank him for the church, he grows our love for the church. And in doing so, guess what's happening? He's healing our land. See, he's healing our church by healing the individuals that are in it. And God knows that we don't thrive alone. That's why he placed us in this family. I've heard it said before that in the family of God, you are not an only child. And and remember, last week we looked at um, the way that Jesus instructed the disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer, and it starts right off with that address, our Father. That just reminds us it's our Father. We belong to this fellowship of believers. And so he wants to look at this as something that not only do we continually pray for and thank God for, but we belong to it. And so this this praying for the church should be as natural to us as the priority of praying for our own families. And I know that most of us don't have a hard time when we pray, remembering to pray for our family members. And not just Now and again, right? Paul said that he never stops praying for the church. He said, we haven't stopped praying for you. And you know why? Because every single day that we have still been given this gift of life here on earth, we still have room to grow and mature in our faith. There is still time to look more and more like Christ. And that is something that God is working out in all of us. It says that he's taking us from glory to glory, so as we grow in our faith and wisdom and knowledge, we're to act and look and talk more like him all the time. And so we should be contending for one another to continue to grow so that we are individually and collectively as a church being taken from glory to glory to glory. And we are supposed to care about this, so much so that we are continually praying for this. And listen, if you want to know if the church is really growing up in faith, then look to see if it's growing out. Galatians 5-6 says, "...because faith expresses itself through love." And love always has an object. Love looks out. Love is an action. It does. That's why Paul commends this church, because he says, I commend you and I'm thankful for the love that you have for Jesus, but also for each other. That's what Paul was specifically thankful for. In verse 4, he said, It's for your faith in Christ and for the love that you're expressing for others. And in this way, he could see that the gospel was actually bearing fruit in their lives. See, if we are growing in our faith, then our love will increase for others and it will be evident. And this is why Paul was filled with gratitude for this church. So we need to be celebrating when we see this in each other, when we see each other celebrating and nurturing the growth in others, when we see the fact that they are glorifying God even more than they maybe once were. This is something for us to encourage and to celebrate and to thank God for. Because, listen, a church that doesn't pray and a church that is not connected to each other is a church that is extremely vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. When we don't pray, we're extremely vulnerable because prayer is one of our greatest defenses. So, when things are good, let's thank him for what's going well. When we need direction, let's seek Him in prayer for guidance. When we have needs, let's take these needs to the Lord in prayer. Let's stay connected and let's stay prayerful. And if you're not sure what to pray for when you pray for the church, I think Paul has some really great points that we could always be asking of the Lord for ourselves and for our church. He prays for three major things. The first is knowledge, knowledge of who God is and his will. You know, to know God is to love him. We don't want to just know about God. We don't want to just study the Bible to have information about him. We want to truly know him. And so Paul is praying that this church would know who God is and furthermore, know what his will is. Because scripture says, you know, Jesus is the good shepherd and his sheep know his voice. I think you would all agree that in today's day and age, there are a lot of voices that clamor for our attention. And we don't want to be aimless and constantly falling for every single voice that comes our way. We want to be dialed in, knowing the voice of God, locked into prayer and knowing what his word says so that we can walk out his will. It also says that he prays that the church would continue to bear fruit in doing good works, and I think it's so important that we just kind of take a step back and remember, like all of those key essentials of what fruit is. You know, fruit is, you know, just off the top of my head, it's just it's satisfying, it's energizing, it's hydrating, it helps you fight. Um, you know, it builds up your immunities, it helps fight diseases. Um, It spreads, it multiplies because of the seeds. And you know what? Fruit takes time, right? When when, when we eat fruit that isn't quite fully developed, it doesn't taste good yet. But we want to share that fruit with others through good works. And finally, we want to pray that our church is strengthened, strengthened in faith. And listen, if you've ever done strength training before, You know that strength training doesn't really come any other way than through resistance. To build muscles, we have to go through resistance training. And the same thing is going to be true spiritually. We can't really know what we know until it's challenged. We can't be certain of certain things about our faith until we go through times that feel unknown, shaky, and uncertain. These are the times where our faith is being tested and tried. So we need to pray for endurance and patience as we go through hard times. Because life is hard, and we are all going to go through hardships. This side of heaven, we are going to be walking through life with hardships. But as a church, Jesus promises That even though we are going to have trouble, that he will be with us, that he stands with us, and that we will overcome. As he describes the church, he describes the church as overcomers. And so with each other and with this vibrant prayer life, we can ask God to strengthen us through our trials. Not just get through them, but actually make us stronger because we endured so finally why why does god want us to pray for each other well (laughs) the the simplest reason is because he loves us (laughs) he loves his kids and he wants us to love each other right we're his family and because because when we are invested in each other's growth and maturity we then begin to partake in one another's process And it's so important to remember that every single one of us, no matter where we are in our faith journey, we are all in process. In Colossians 128, Paul says, our goal should be that as, or or Paul says that his goal is to encourage and teach each other so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. He says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. See, it's Christ that works that strength in him. That's what, we have to ha- that's what we need to have dialed in and working on our side. But with the strength that Christ gives us for what he's equipped us to do, Paul says that we need to care so much about each other's maturity and growth and faith process, that we stand by each other. That word present also can translate stand beside. Do you know what that means? That means we are invested in each other's process. And I keep saying process because we have to remember that it's just that. If someone messes up or they go through kind of a funky season, we don't just discard them. We don't just cancel them we would treat them like we would treat anyone in our family who's going through something we stand beside them but with the intention of, of helping them and picking them back up and eventually presenting them mature you know i think of parenting and i think about how natural this concept really is in parenting like every one of us when we've had small children we we love our children And they're so adorable and sweet when they're in that infant and toddler stage. There's a lot to love about that stage. But you know what? We would begin to be very concerned if as that child was growing, they were still doing babyish things. You know, we have certain mile markers. If they get to be about a year to a year and a half old and they're not able to eat solid foods or they're not able to take their first steps, well, then we start to worry We don't just cancel them and throw them out and say, I can't believe you haven't met that mark yet. You know what I mean? We stand beside them and we look into ways of how to help them and how to support them. And sometimes we get additional professional help, but we are invested in their growth and in their maturity. And spiritually speaking, that is the heart that God wants us to have for one another. Why? Because the church really is the hope of glory here on earth. Yeah, because it's Christ that's the hope of glory in us. Without Christ in us, we have no hope of glorifying God. We don't have any way of looking like him without his spirit in us. And so it is Christ in all of us that is the hope of the glory being displayed here on earth. So when we learn to pray God's way. It becomes a whole lot less about this laundry list of requests, or it becomes a whole lot less about, you know, trying to change God's mind about something or get him on board with your plans. And it becomes a whole lot more like bending a humble knee and lending an ear and opening your spiritual eyes to allow him to shape our hearts and our thoughts and give us and obedience, and a heartbeat for what He wants us to do. I love the quote by Oswald Chambers. It says, prayer doesn't fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. So in a um, producing addicted culture, let's really, as the church, be set apart and do our very best to resist falling in the trap of doing a lot of ministry and work and action and think that we can forgo prayer. Prayer comes in a whole lot of different ways, but at the heart of it, we have a God that wants to communicate with us. Jesus is our Lord, He is our Savior, but He is also our friend. And friends talk and friends are in relationship and friends walk together. And it reminds me of the um, the old church hymn. And I'm just going to leave with, with these lyrics because it kept coming to me as I was writing this message. And it's this. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we did not carry everything to God in prayer. In 2024, let's commit to being a church that is leaned in, praying for what God cares about, lifting each other up in prayer. Let's be a church that is unstoppable, taking everything to God in prayer. May this be true for your life, and may it be true in our church today.